and welcome to Ludicrously Specific, and in 2023, we're changing shit up. I'm Doug, and the first film I watched this year was Prey, P-R-E-Y, the Dan Trachtenberg Predator sequel. And I'm Steve. Uh, That's your first change. I'm now the second person today to tell you my first film of 2023, which I assure Doug was going to be Oscar-winning movie Parasite, and it wasn't. It was non-Oscar winning uh, Twister, uh, Jane de Bont's uh, movie about Twisters, which I've seen about seven or eight times. I thought you told me there were going to be ninjas in it, actually. Uh, well, there, there are ninjas in Twister. If I've never seen really Twister, so this is like, quite like possible. Whirling around it's in the cow. The, the ninja's really <laughs> stealthy, is hiding. Exactly. Have they made a Ninja NATO movie yet? And if not, why not? <laughs> <laughs> that is our idea. Do not steal that. Thank you. <laughs> Copyright 2023. Ludicrous specific. Word we're prohibited. And, and I am the third member of our trio, Darren. And uh, I'm the third person to have watched a movie... For the first time this year, and <laughs> that's not even actually what we were saying. <laughs> wow. What's the first movie you watched this year? <laughs> Some things stay the same, don't worry. <laughs> uh, and and mine was Casino. That's C A S I N O, the Martin Scorsese film, which um, I've never seen before. It's freaking awesome. I'd love to talk to you for an, about twenty minutes about it, but maybe not just yet. And one of the reasons for that is we are splitting up our format. So those of you who have been with us from the start, both of you, hi, um, <laughs> will remember how we started. It's just talking about three films. And then we're like, oh, we'll talk about a couple of things we've seen really quick and then talk about three films. And then we talk for an hour and a half and then begrudgingly mention three films at the end. <laughs> so we've decided to break the podcast into two parts and uh, we'll release a separate episodes. And so we'll do a what we've watched for the month, and then we'll do separately to that and released a couple weeks after a um, one that's specific to the topic. So uh, the next episode will be Martin Scorsese literary adaptions from A to B, featuring The Age of Innocence and Boxcar Bertha. So... Uh, you can do your preparatory watching now, or you could sit back and wait for us to spoil the shit out of it. Your choice. Both those movies are twenty to forty years old, so if you haven't seen them by now, you know spoilers. You know yeah. we will get into spoilers definitely. Yeah, and, and and I think this this format will allow us to to prime you as to what we're going to see, so you can join in. It can be a bit more interactive. Also, you're not seeing it for three and a half hours, as I think our last one. Well, right. we make no guarantee. <laughs> It might become two separate three and a half hour episodes. You can live in hope. <laughs> we are the Netflix of podcasts. Oh, <laughs> it's like Tiger King, only even more. Oh my lord! But let's not be like Tiger King. Let's it's... not. So, shall we begin with at the beginning? I think because that's a very good place to start, from what I've learned. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think with what. It's, I, I think we begin with a completely unrelated scare scene, kill an ancillary character off, and then cut to the credits. That's uh, what we do. Okay. But I guess I mean I can start because my. Um, I mean, I guess a new year, there's always you know what are you going to watch this year? But because I vote in this poll every February of um, the best of the year. And the vote's always in February, so it means that January, I'm spending catching up with ah, uh, whatever I missed. And so, I've seen a lot of three and a half star films. Uh, I was like, <laughs> yeah, pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. Um, not going to give it any points for anything. Not going to, you know, pretty good. Okay. Avatar Way of Water. Pretty good. Uh, more complicated, nuanced opinions about it than that. But um, but one film that transcended that, that's actually worth 
seeking out is Emily the Criminal, oh. which is stars Aubrey Plaza. Uh, it's by a director named John Harrison. Uh, sorry, John, John Harrison, Harrison Ford. Ford. Oh, not wow. Harrison, but but uh, maybe he's trying to evoke that. Um, but his directorial. Uh, uh, slate that I've seen from a set just says J. Ford. Uh, but I suppose that uh, John Ford might have been taken by the DGA. Yeah. Um, Emily the Criminal is a real departure for Aubrey Plaza, and she executive produced it, and I've seen her comment about being in the edit suite the whole time, so she she definitely like, I think, intended it to be like, I can do something other than be the sarcastic person and do the do what she does really well and has done a lot in her career to date and it succeeds brilliantly it opens with emily who is uh an art school graduate for living in la between jobs um trying to explain the uh conviction she has on her record that she her employer has uh her potential employer has discovered and um very quickly, it becomes clear this isn't the first time she's done this uh, and tried to get somewhere, but has this big black mark against her, despite seemingly to come out of somewhat of a prestigious place. Uh, and she very quickly winds up hearing from one of her Uber Eats or some kind of food delivery co-workers about this opportunity that involves the actively criminal activity of being given a fake uh, driver's license and credit card and going into a mega store and buying a TV. You, the person doing it, get $200 for a half hour's work. The person who's giving you the fake ID and credit card gets the TV and converts that to whatever they convert it for. And um, and so she takes to this work. Uh, and I don't want to say any more than that other than the tone that really struck with me in this film, I was expecting maybe something a little slicker, like an uncut gems, or there's there's a little Michael Mann energy at points, but it's a little bit more laid back and actually it almost reminded me more than anything of straight time. Oh. Um, and it's kind of 70s crime films of that ilk where there's, there's a lot of um, weird little moments that don't necessarily advance things, but really mm. drive home character. And things just sort of gradually escalate as you learn more and also realize how what you don't know about this character and probably more importantly, what they're capable of. Um, and I won't say anything more than that other than I watched it back to back with Body Heat. And in a weird way, um, even though this is much less sexually explicit, they make an amazing double feature. So, wow. Um, okay. Yeah. That, and that went completely, I don't, I think it played the film festival, but it never got any other kind of screen release here. And so I watched that on uh, Aerovision where you too, listener, could do that or watch it <laughs> yeah, potentially any place else. I think it's on Netflix in the States. Right. So what's uh, struck your eyes this year? Well, moving on quickly from that, I have not, I mean, I haven't seen that one there, but I've been in a bit of a, an interesting movie phase because right off the bat I got sick coming out of the new year because I work in alcohol so at the end of the year you don't have time to get sick and at the time that things slow down you immediately everybody in the industry discovers that they've actually been sick for weeks on end so I developed vertigo which You've is real fun a, very long, a time. long time a lot longer than I thought but um, so I I actually had planned in January to do my B-Fest, which is my 24-hour movie run, uh, which I do every year, B-Fest South, as I call it, in homage to B-Fest 
in Chicago. This year, because I just couldn't find a way to get two days off before, even before I got sick, I split that into two parts. Mm. So I did a half bee fest of, of 12 hours. Immediately got sick the next week, so I had to cancel mm. the second one. But I thought, what the hell, I've got the movies on tap. And mm. quite a few of them are ones that I've seen in the past, haven't gone back to for a long time, but I know I liked. Not going to be too challenging my brain because I've put a combination of vertigo and a virus that was kind of COVID-like but wasn't actually COVID, which was just knocking me for a loop. We call that in our house, I can't believe it's not COVID. Pretty much that. exclamation point. Yeah, pretty much that. So I went back to 1985 and watched Just One of the Guys, which was one I had planned to mm. actually open BFS with on the first session and then bump to the second half to be the kind of the, what would be the two o'clock in the morning slot if we were doing it in 24 hours. So it would have been, you know, middle of the afternoon, early part of the afternoon, the second one. And got to say, I've seen it one time years ago with my wife. I know nothing about it. Is it a romantic comedy? Is it? It's, let me, let me put it this way. I'll give you the uh, the synopsis coming off of of Letterboxd. When Terry Griffiths loses her high school's writing competition, she's convinced it's because she's a girl. So Terry decides to change high schools and poses a boy to prove her point. Her brother Buddy helps her pose as a guy so well she's soon making friends with the boys at school, including the attractive Rick, who becomes her new best friend. Then things become difficult. So it is kind of a romantic so soul comedy. man but intersectional. It is, yeah, it's not, <laughs> soul much. man but not terrible. So because I know I've seen the trailer for Soul Man and I will never watch Soul Man. That's I still can't believe. I that think movie I watched made. it back in the day, wow. but I can't remember why. Being, <laughs> it's, I mean, well, it was because you know, I was about six or seven years old and didn't know any. Yeah, and, but I mean, <laughs> the people that made it should have known better back in the eighties yeah. on Soul Man. And Soul Man does have that, that, that real cringe factor when you even just look at a trailer these days where it's like a white guy pretending to be black guy. But this one, it's it's too lovable a movie to get offended by. Right. And it's just... You, well, look at it now, I can see the flaws. The, some of the acting is not fantastic. I'm going to say that right off the bat. But the script is tight. The performances are filmed naturalistic. And the humor is at a really high level. And the, the the line that stuck for me for years is where her brother is teaching her how to be a be a guy, and it's like, no, I've got to see you walk, and I've got to see you. And how, how do you talk? And he went, here's the most important thing: show me how you scratch your balls. And the the line which was that stuck in my head was, what if my balls don't itch? And he, he looks straight in the eye and goes, every guy's balls itch. And it's, <laughs> it's quite a perceptive script. <laughs> I think that's what cinema does: is it it speaks to universal truths yeah, that we haven't found the words for. And exactly. I think you found a perfect Itchy example. balls is definitely Absolutely. universal truth. Scritch, 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 scritch. And basically, all the the side characters are a lot of fun in it. The the, the flick just it just it's not a challenging flick. But it is definitely one that is, as Darren likes to say quite regularly, a warm hug of a film. Because once you've seen it, you, you probably will go back and see it again. I put it on my Twitter and it turned out there's a lot of love for that film. A lot of people were... More than memories? Quite, definitely. But maybe more. I don't know how many people have seen it recently. Someone did tell me they've watched it every couple of years and okay. they you know still loved it. And I can see myself going back and watching it again because it is just one of those... Kind of like Valley Girl and things like that where it's a, it's a nice kind of time capsule of the, of the 80s for a start. But it's it's not aged into cringe eighties where, yeah. where there's a number of those films. Uh, some of the ones that I loved as a kid, I went back and watched uh, Real Genius, right? And loved it as a kid, and I watched it, and I was like, it's good, but 
Mm. And my and my age I am now, if I'd seen it for the first time, I'd be like, eh, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> but back in the time, I loved the movie. I saw every time it came. I on saw TV. Rad on Saturday. Rad, so that's yes, a very familiar, like kind of. <laughs> I, I saw Rad for the first time last year as part of my 365 movies in in a year, and I got to 389, I think. Mm. But um, so I managed to achieve my goal. This year is going to be a little more chill because of obvious reasons. So I don't want to go back into Vertigo because if you've never had Vertigo, and two of us out of three of us here have, it fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. It really does, and I have sympathy for anyone that has it regularly. Yeah, well, some of us have had it longer, longer, longer than yes. others. Yes, you had it for a long time. You had it before time. it was cool. We yeah. Yeah. You don't have to rub it in. I made, I made it look good, Vertigo even though hipster. I Those yellow glasses. Uh. <laughs> Fortunately, I didn't have to wear the, wear the funky glasses that Darren had to to get over his. I just had to pop some pills and fall asleep for hours at a time. But, um, yeah. Wear I, those funky glasses, <laughs> white boy. But definitely, I think, you know, this year I'm going to, since I'm not pushing hard to try and watch movie out every day and watch movie after movie after movie and do long sessions, I am going to go back and look at some of those films that I hadn't seen for 10, 15, 20 years. Mm. Even some that I've watched maybe at the very start of our movie-watching journey when I began, what would I call it, Bad Movie Afternoon, I think I called it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, BMAs. BMAs, which were the A film, the B film, and some of the ones that I found on my hard drive. I found an old hard drive which I'd collated all the movies that we watched for the first couple of years. There was something like 200 movies on it. And I found one, I didn't even know the title, and I looked it up and it was the alternate title for Challenge of the Tiger. And I went, fuck yes, I'm watching Challenge of the Tiger. That movie is so good. Oh, I did read this. I have it on DVD. (laughs) I haven't seen that one. Oh my gosh. It's on a double feature disc with For Your Height Only, which is the Wayne Wayne James Bond, Agent Double Zero. And it is... It was just like, I just bought it because uh, for, for your height only. But Challenge of the Tiger outstrips it by leagues. Absolutely. Not yes. just because you aren't feeling pity for the lead actor the no. entire time. You, but you were just, you're just, just watching. That's just a small facet of the top basically, of and the amazing martial arts. There was a Godfrey Ho vanity project is the only way I could describe it. Because it's it's definitely one of those movies where everything is, is written because one of the actors gave them some money and said, write this shit in for me. Yeah. You know, can, can I have eight topless women around me? Can we can we throw on a topless? I grudgingly match? accept. <laughs> <laughs> I will take that role, please. Yeah. Can we get more topless women leaning all over me, please, during the scene? So, yeah, it's a, it's a work of absolute. 80s and there's genius. martial arts in there as well. Kind of, though. You know, after the topless tennis scene, who gives a shit? <laughs> <laughs> and with that classy note, well, let's move well, on. Actually, yeah. no. Let's let's move move back. Let's move uh, back. Because just one of the guys, I mean, you um, mentioned the cast. You did not mention uh, Chief Arsehole, William Zubka, who was Sweep the Leg Johnny. Yes, true. Oh, wow. A- yeah. As playing the same fucking role. It is, because, yeah, well, I remember when he came out. He's awesome. The nuanced characterization of villains, <laughs> villains in the 80s. Uh, villains. I, villains. I think villains. we should call them villains. villains. Yeah. Villains. Yeah. Yes. Double yeah. popped collar he has at one stage. Yes, so, he does. Super 80s douche where he's got the right. collar popped and the collar inside popped as well. And it's just like, yeah, I think we know who our bad guys absolutely no redeeming features to him whatsoever. And he is so watchable. It's, <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah. I, um, I enjoyed that film too. I, I had an issue though, and and maybe did you watch concurrently the same stuff that I I did well right. because I couldn't be at um, his second day of B Fest, so um, I got hold of the the list beforehand and um, you did. watched I it. I well, sent you the list so you could watch it beforehand, and then I ended up watching yep, it. And I was anyway. um, yeah. working from. And I was standing somewhere in Teatitude watching in three D. <laughs> <laughs> 
I was uh, working from home, so perfect opportunity to watch a film or two if you can. Um, Darren's employers, if you're listening, he wasn't <laughs> yeah. actually watching for lunch, lunch, break. Break. lunch break. No, no lunch, lunch breaks. breaks. Lunch breaks. Absolutely. Long, long lunch breaks. Long, yeah. long lunch breaks. <laughs> um, but yeah, and so I did watch just one of the guys, and interesting. They set up the storyline as she becomes one of the guys in order to um, to. Um, be able to be judged as a, a guy rather than a girl and they never go back to that storyline until the end no, exactly. <laughs> they never touch it they don't even look in its direction no. i always wonder when you see films like that like did all the scenes relevant to this storyline get cut because they weren't interesting or did they just get to page 88 of the script and be like oh yeah that's what this that's is right. about you know the, the then, writing contest uh, let's, it's let's a friday 4 55 they're starting shooting monday yeah <laughs> it's a hundred minute I, film and so there wouldn't have been if they did have that storyline they would have then had to have gotten rid of some things but i mean that's what they set the story up to be that's her motivation and it all becomes about sex yeah she falls in love with the the, um with her best friend as a guy almost Mm -hmm. instantly it's Clayton Rona, yeah. so... But then, but then because she's, she's doing this as an experiment, she starts trying to set him up because he's the, the cute guy that can't, that's too nervous to get a date. And the moment she gets a date, the, the moment when she suddenly realises that she's in love with him is crushing. Mm. And it's... So it does give you these nice emotional hearts, as well as being a, mm. a, just a, a classic, not PG-13, mm. 80s sex comedy, because the younger brother, who's supposedly 15, is utterly obsessed with sex i mean and this is a pt-13 one where he covers the walls of his bedroom with playboy centerfolds which on the big screen right yeah (laughs) quite an eye-opening for some of the 13 yeah at home you need a magnifying glass and he he does uh, i feel like this is a a scenario that's been exploited in other films but all i can think of is bloody 12th night which i can't imagine that this is much of a ripoff but the 13 year old does get to have sex with sherilyn finn at the end oh yes yeah yeah i mean he's definitely he's 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 not a 15 year old actor i can i can assure you of that but yes and he he wasn't after that no definitely not he gets a happy ending yeah it was it's fun but i i I probably didn't like it quite as much as you because i wanted the story you wanted the story about that but it was more i just wanted something that you know a romantic comedy i mean at that point with my brain turned to pudding and then a virus afterwards making me have no energy i could have watched love actually and would have had a great time i think of that i I literally went and watched i think kuana squatsy and things that had no dialogue (laughs) for a while when i was first sick because i couldn't focus on the dialogue Mm -hmm. i just a dialogue doesn't just like no words words hard words don't work (laughs) in mentioning clayton rona i do have to uh, a great horror film that he's in i might have mentioned it in previous years i madman i've heard of it amazing uh makeup special effects really cool story um about a um a bookshop clerk who um uh finds that a um a killer in a book that she's reading is coming to life and killing Mm. and it's it's just really clever it's a lot of fun it's yeah 
highly recommend. I have a feeling I've already mentioned it before, but it's directed by Tibor Takach. <laughs> that, 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 that weird name does have to be, because the, <laughs> the way you pronounce it, definitely, I think it's a <laughs> could be the same way, because I'm not that original. This is really the, uh, a lot of the takeaway. Going <laughs> <laughs> now, um, I'm just going to talk about a... Um, a boring film that I saw, um, one that everyone knows, so I know you've heard it all before. It's called The Big Day from 1960, directed by Peter Graham Scott. And I, I know. Oh, just kind of, oh, sorry. We're talking about The Big Day again. <laughs> Googling frantically. <laughs> it is amazing. I was I'm blown away. It's 1960. It um, stars. Donald Pleasance, Harry H. Corbett, uh, William Franklin, and some just a bunch of British actors, um, all doing really, really good work. And it's a. Um, and what's the genre? Drama. It's, it's basically about um, three guys who are given the chance uh, to. Uh, interview for promotion at this um, at this business and they're not really they don't really say what their business is but it involves trucks and freight and stuff but they just don't really explain what they're doing um, and it's basically um, Donald Pleasance is the um, the little quiet guy who always gets overlooked. He has a harridan of a wife and a, uh, a 20 year old mistress who's his secretary, um, who is um, helping him, uh, trying to get him prepared to uh, go for this role. Then there's. I'm getting the... really Jack Lemon energy from that description. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And then there's uh, Harry H. Corbett, who's very much the Jack the Lad, who's also married to a um, uh, married, but to a kind of a harridan who is the sister of the boss of the company. So she's always trying to push him forward. And, and then there's um, William Franklin, who is maybe not so much the he's more the salesperson and he's a lot more unscrupulous and will do whatever he can to get whatever done and it's basically focuses on these three people and their relationships around and it's a deep dark psychological tea time of the soul right and it is so good okay i it's very surprised how do you come across this i'd never heard of it um i uh, found it on a site called uk chaos okay um it, so they put up stuff that play on on uk tv okay um, so like a torrent site, or is it more of like a um, blog or something? It or? is. It's it's a torrent site, oh, okay. but they um, but it's all fairly legitimate, and they. Um, I mean, it's sixty-five years old. So yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> and they, and they come at us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's where where you can get a lot of the really sort of old oddities that you've never heard of before. And this thing, it's only um, it's only fifty fifty-five minutes. But it's is it's a movie. It was released as a film, right? 
And there's some interesting, like, non-standard commercial times around that time. I picked up the indicator set, the Pemini organization. Mm -hmm. And the first film in it is, like, 47 minutes. And it's this great little one-room thriller about this um, guy who gets a woman to show her a place that they're renting. And then it turns out that he's actually there to be there for noon to um, do a sniper attack. And it just plays out and... Oh, Mostly nice. in time in that room with a couple flashbacks or whatever. But I was just like, oh, that's just a really strange length to independently produce. But I guess, you know, features are mm. kind of a different thing now than they were. At and some of course, point. you had a lot yeah. more sort of double features back then as well. So, you, True, you know, yeah. if you had a 50 minute movie and then followed by a 90 minute one after that, it'd still be shorter than Avatar. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just this one, it is, it's a drama. It does have a nice line of humour going through it, but that's very much a British thing mm. that you can't do one without the other. It's, um, yeah, and and it doesn't, it doesn't quite do anything exactly as you think it would. I very much recommend it. And okay. I... I know that I'll have to see it again because I'm the only way these two are going to be able yeah, to, to see this. Well, it'd be interesting to see, uh, you know, uh, Donald Pleasant's underplaying because, of course, you know, the, the types of movies I tend to see tend to be the 70s and 80s output where he was eating scenery yeah. like peanuts <laughs> and being quite quite broad, shall we say, at times. In the in the 50s and 60s, he almost disappeared. He was very, very... He played lots of very quiet, very either normal or... Just under normal type people. Hmm. I mean, there's Dr. Crippen, which is one I've always been wanting to watch, where he plays, wait for it, Dr. Uh, Crippen. Oh, that was, yeah. Good. <laughs> the, yeah. If you haven't heard, he, he was a, a notorious killer of... Oh, it's, it's a real story, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Killer of... People. Yes, I believe so. <laughs> People. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Did he kill, kill them? The, the Dr. Crippen, who was a killer of ants, didn't actually wind up meriting a no, film. Exactly. It's like, we're actually quite glad you got rid of those ants. They were quite a nuisance to us all. No, uh, well, other Dr. Crippen, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, uh, if you can find it, watch it. Uh, the Big Day, directed by Peter Graham Scott. Fucking awesome. Nice. So mine has nothing in common with that, except it's also fucking awesome. Um, so one of my other uh, projects... I think we'll be the judge. For the year. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, I don't expect a lot of pushback on this one. Um, so the 18-hour Austrian... <laughs> well, well done. <laughs> Thank so, you and good night. <laughs> so one of my an, other projects for the year, which it is always and never seems to go in the right direction, is to get the great pile of unwatched Blu-rays down and uh, I had a reason to in particular to work on one of my sets recently because uh, Darren was ahead of me on a certain movie series and we were, I was going over to his house to watch uh, Lone Wolf and Cub 4 which is I think Lone Wolf and Cub Baby Card in Peril and I'd only seen the first Lone Wolf and Cub movie so I had to watch Lone Wolf and Cub 2 and 3 from the set in order to do that. So I watched three Lone Wolf and Cub movies. I demanded it. In so at 36 <laughs> hours. Well, I, I, there's part of me that was like, do the Lone Wolf and Cub movies really have such plot follow through that I need to watch them in order? And the answer is no, they no, don't. No, but, but they do have an age that grow, the baby, it's, there's a baby who grows up. Yeah. Well, but not that much because the first three all came out in 1972, and I think the fourth one was shot in 1972. I'll completely so ruin my... In, in, insert essay on child labor laws in Japan here. But, um, 
So it's interesting because the first three are all the same creative crew, but it's like the first film I thought was pretty good. Um, I really liked it. Um, mm. And then I put on Lone Wolf and Cub, Baby Cart at the River Sticks, number two. And it is just fucking fire from top to finish. Mm-hmm. And not just as a top-tier exploitation film. Because I've seen a few, you know, I mean, there's female convict scorpions and there's, yeah. you know, lots of other really good uh, Japanese exploitation films. But I just think pacing-wise, it's fascinating. It leans heavily on silence. There's just an immaculate sense of where to put the camera that evokes the best of Sergio Leone at times. And it always just feels like he knows exactly where to put it. And the the story is pretty much just like peppered with so many what the fuck fight scenes after fight scenes after fight scenes that it, it's pretty much just a nonstop action fest, except that it also has this meditative kind of shift between the thing and and yet it manages to pull those off i'd watched um one arm boxer right before the end of the year and it reminded me how like with a lot of chinese martial arts films suddenly they'll be going along and suddenly they'll you know be like, ah, you know, <laughs> and there's no kind of sense of there being a shift it's more like you know somebody who hasn't worked out how to drive a stick shift that's going <laughs> and um and just the sense of pace and control in this even though um, you know, you can argue which fight scenes are are better across various films, but there's no arguing the way that this feels as an overall film that I wouldn't hesitate to recommend even to somebody who has a distaste for, you know, what's quintessentially called exploitation cinema. I mean, Darren, you've, uh, you've seen the first four now. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the other thing to say is it's kind of amazing watching number three after that because it's the same creative crew and it's like it almost feels like they got so burned out making number two good and they're like shit we have to make another one and they're not they're on the back foot most of the time to the point where i'm like i'm almost think this is actively not a good movie until the end where the last half hour of Mm. number three has a battle scene where it's like oh they were just spending so much time getting lone wolf and cub against a hundred people who are outnumbered because the hundred of them are facing Lone Wolf and Cub, and you don't do that. <laughs> well, by the third one, Cub was actually actively. That is the one. Uh, that is the one advantage of number three. Although number four, they then just kind of the story sidelines him, yeah. um, disappointingly. And also, I don't know how much of it's just they've inherited the stories from the original manga. Um, mm. And then number four is a different director who's way more interested in making sure we get as much boob as possible. Yes. And, um, though it does, <laughs> it I, does have a story content. Oh, I, I made this. I think, I, think ju- I think story justification and story context are two different things. Yeah. It's like, Oh, I'm going to show the tattoos on my boobs. So people are distracted. I can cut them with a sword is probably yeah, that, not that, necessarily that is historically that's, that's accurate. That's why I yeah. ha- have my tats on my tits. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, I've never needed to see them. So let's, let's keep it that way, shall we? I, I, I have seen it these movies me occasionally, years so. ago. Uh, well, then I watched them with my father-in-law. He was, he's an avid collector of media and always has been. He saw oh, right. his VHS collection up in the house, you know, up in the, the attic in the house, old VHS players and things. He, just, he never throws anything away. So for a while there, he was just getting into just getting random uh, Blu-rays and DVDs and just running off copies because he had a 
Because he could. Because he could, and because and yeah, he, you, so you come he over could and you sell literally, them for mega bucks. No, I mean they were literally. You'd open up a folder and just kind of yeah. go, "Wow, this is the most random selection of stuff I've ever seen." And you'd be every so often you'd be like, "Yeah, take this one over there," and you'd have three movies on it. And you'd I was watching things like Outlander and stuff like that, which I'd never even heard right. of, which turned to be quite good. But we Legion watched, we watched, I think three. Uh, God, I don't know. It was yeah. Years oh, ago. with uh, John Hurt. It's the Be- uh, Beowulf, um, sci-fi. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. It's really good. It's well, quite a good. cool film. But then, then one Saturday night, we, I was over you know, for dinner and a glass of wine, and we put on this movie, and we watched, I think, three of them over the next couple of weeks. And it's, right. Yeah, it's definitely, even though it's been 15 years since I've seen it, they definitely stick in your head, because, yeah. the, I mean, discovering that Japanese men are, are full of high-pressure blood bags uh, <laughs> is... Yeah. It's quite something because you nick yourself on that and you, you your blood goes to the moon. Number four so. is particularly fascinating because it's either you get stabbed in the chest and nothing happens <laughs> or you get you look at a blade and you're like showering people in the neighboring <laughs> the, village. The amount of limbs that are yeah. flying in that movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so it's definitely ones I have to go and revisit. But, mm-hmm. um, but as you say, the, the fact that I did like about it is what you said is that the fight scenes have meaning. They're not just... I mean, I've watched so many martial arts movies where... Literally five minutes in, it feels like we have to have a fight scene here. Send in a couple of bullies that start pushing around a hero for no reason whatsoever so we mm. can beat the shit out of them. Whereas um, Eight Diagram Pole Fighter, one of my favorite, yeah. well, probably my favorite Shaw Brother movie of, of all time, and I mentioned this on the podcast before, every fight scene has a purpose and they escalate. They start off mm. just with the getting to know your fight scene, a couple of little bits here yeah, and yeah. there, and by the end of it, it's a 10 minute long. Battle to the Death, which is one of the most phenomenal fight scenes ever put. That on is screen. the one thing that I think pays off in number three is that there is a there is an overarching relationship that does pay off. But it, number two is interesting because um, the actual plot of it is Lone Wolf gets hired by this um, prefecture that ha- specializes in indigo fabric dyeing, and they have a monopoly. And the central government's trying to break up the monopoly and organize the workers to rebel like the terrible people that they are. And, <laughs> and limbs it, must be shed. And, and, I, and I spent half the time wondering, is like, is this going to turn out at the end that, like, you know, the samurai code actually dictates that they're being, um, uh, that Lone Wolf needs to teach them a lesson for being predatory capitalists? And it's like, no, Lone Wolf doesn't give a shit. He nope. just gets hired and he's on the demon way to yeah. hell and he's just going to... Um, yeah fulfill uh what he gets hired to do as long as he feels like it and yeah. if he has some weird ass samurai reason for not doing it then and he'll the demon, do that too and the demon way to hell means that basically they're going into oblivion and taking as many people down as they possibly can on the way and but making some coin mm. while doing it yeah. Yeah. and it means their eyes change which turns out to be a major plot point in number four uh, because so, a character could save Daigoro from a burning field oh, but it's my like Lord, yes. but this is a rare chance to see his his eyes of death and mean it, see if they mean what they really mean because <laughs> okay. he's entranced that his eyes look like the eyes of somebody who's killed hundreds of people but he's and so that's young that's actually because <laughs> yeah. he's, so, either, he's either been a party to it or witnessed yeah, so that that that's starting to get a little feisty. We'll see how number five turns out, but um, number six apparently is the crazy nuts one. Um, so I'm looking forward. Well, that's to the that. final one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one where basically everyone else left, and the lead actor, um, whose name I am going to probably butcher, Tomisaburo Wakayama, who plays Ito Agami, uh, who's the brother of who's the brother of the actor who plays Zatoichi, whose mm. name I can't remember at this moment. Yeah. But uh, he basically finally got. 
to worm himself into creative control because the director of the first three came back for the fifth and then was burnt out again and everyone except Igaro was uh, ready for uh, somebody to <laughs> yeah. step up and take charge. The um, the guy who played Satoichi is Shintaro Katsu. So, yes, who's who's produced these films. And um, Oh, wow, I didn't know he was the producer. It's uh, I've got the 26 box set of Satoichi and slowly been working my way yeah. through. I've seen 11 of them so far and all of them are worth seeing. Right. All of them are decent... And the 11th might be one of the best of the lot. <laughs> I thought about buying that. I'm like, when am I going to watch 26 Zatoichi films? But Well, you know, uh, you've got a brother who can hook you up. <laughs> but the, uh, what I'm, it's because it's something what you said about the, um, the fight scenes. With Zatoichi, I love the fact that they've, in the very first film, he's a... Um, He's known mainly as a masseuse who does a bit of fighting, but it's um, but his legend grows from film to film to right. film. Now all you have to do is mention his name as Zatoichi, and people will go running <laughs> in the opposite direction. Well, that's, that's sensible. Yeah, and and yeah. so and I love that the fight scenes show that it's you always have to have at least ten people. Or so fighting Zatoichi. Right. Because he's going to raise his sword at them and strike, and they're not going to be able to take him on. They, yeah. they might be able to hit the blade once, but not the second time round. And so, so his skill is always as such that he will wipe out everyone. And by the time you get to the end and you've got the big bad. If, um, or there's a sort of hired sword, he might take three strikes at him before right. he dies. But it's always going to happen because of his skill. And it, But somehow they manage to make it interesting because they, they have a whole heap of... Um, I think one of the most recent ones, it might have been about 50 or 60 men versus Satoichi. Right. And they make the. Was it called Zatoichi in the Battle of Fifty or Sixty Men? <laughs> it would Good never. Title. It would never be that vague. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it sounds like you're describing a, um, an, an American movie, which I saw recently, and no, it's not Blind Fury because I saw Blind Fury, which is the Zatoichi right. remake yeah. in America. Blind and I was, Fury. Blind Fury. But I was actually really disappointed with the Blind Fury. I had never seen it in the eighties. I was waiting, and wait, I finally got around to it. And it was, I found it's, it quite dull. It's played more for comedy it than is, for anything but else. It is, but the way you described it there, you were describing the outlaw Josie Wales, which is, I just saw for oh, the wow. first time. I've never seen that. I literally, That's... I don't watch westerns that often, but I watch that just, uh, well, I watch half of it, got sick, watch the other half right. three days later. But and didn't um, get sick on the other half? No, well, you know, once I could focus it. See, it's not it. the film. It wasn't the film. It wasn't the the film. film is not going to make but you hell. It sounds very, it's, it's in that very similar way where everybody knows jo- Josie Wells. And this is in oh, America and nice. the, the West yeah. where it's like, oh, that's Josie Wells. Oh my God, that's Josie Wells. And right. by the end, it's, holy shit, that's Josie Wells. Run away. Because they know if you fuck with Josie Wells, yeah, Josie's going to win. But by the end of it, there is people that are as good as him. So it's, mm. it's interesting. I, maybe it's just coincidental, but mm, there's definitely... There, I, there, I mean, there's so, so much uh, back and forth between Westerns and samurai movies, yeah. as, you know, most famously with Fistful of Dollars and Yojimbo yeah. um, and Magnificent Seven and Seven Samurai and 
So one last thing I was going to say about Lone Wolf and Cub is that in the original manga, Lone Wolf is actually quite slim as is Shintaro Katsu's uh, build. And so the producer was most certainly not looking for somebody Chunky. with the lumbering bulk of Tomisaburo <laughs> Wakayama. And, um, it, his, and so um, the, one of the other producers he uh, was, was handling <laughs> the casting. And uh, so Tomisaburo comes over and says, you know, you may not be think of me for this role, but before you rule me out, watch this, and proceeds to do all these flying somersault jumps and shit in the, the yard to show just so, how limber he is and that he's actually capable of the physicality of it. And it's actually, having watched the movies, it's hard to imagine Lone Wolf as a slim retiring mm. type, given just how, um, you know, his unprepossessing bulk just is such a And he's so intimidating. Yeah. In the fourth, I could be wrong, it's been a while since I've watched the first three, but in the fourth one, he actually gets hurt, and I don't remember him getting... Oh, yeah, no, in the third one, uh, he gets a big scar, a big cut across his back in oh, the final he does. scene. Oh, right. And you see the scar of that in the fourth one. So, and in this one, um, and, there's and he quite gets, some nasty... And he does get the... And I think it's the third one as well. He gets the crap beaten out of him, and Daigoro is, like, bringing him water right. to try to heal him, and then, like... Oh, there you go. So um, this lethal weapon yeah. they've borrowed from... Well, there you go. It's yeah, very exactly. Very <laughs> all right. <laughs> Your turn. Okay, right, we're finally up to you after well, we've all talked about... No, no, let's let's, yeah. let's bring the tone now, shall we? So, uh, <laughs> so drop me to the second half of B-Fest, because B-Fest, as I say, I'll watch the second half by myself, but I went off script, so my, my line-up for the first half, which I'd sent to Darren, and Darren probably watched before, was X the Unknown, which was Great little British type, little British sci-fi oh. from the fifties. Uh, Octoman, which sounds like me, but I don't recommend because it's fucking dull. Um, Octoman, the suit is hilarious, but you don't see enough of it. And when you do, it's um, you can just see the poor stuntman sweating inside a rubber costume. It's been on my watch list for eons, and after I saw your hot take on it, I'm like, it's, okay, it's I'll not, take that off my watch it's list. It's not great. Uh, the Invisible Maniac, which if you like um, boobs, uh, is phenomenal high-class entertainment. If you like uh, a script it's that makes hard to sense... Find those. Yeah, if you, if you like a script that makes sense, um, no, it doesn't. And uh, apparently it even... It sets up for a sequel, and I believe it even had a sequel in production, but didn't get a sequel out of it. Then I watched just one of the guys, and then I went off script because of a comment someone made on Twitter. They put up a post to someone, and one of the other guys I follow on Twitter who's into the same sort of stuff I'm into. Right. Uh, and I'm gonna. So you interacted with somebody on Twitter who's not a Nazi. Who's not a Nazi? No, and I'm on Twitter, and I'm not a Nazi. As far too, as you so. know. As far as I know, but I mean, if if he's a Nazi, he likes bad movies, so you know, I can forgive him. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, I, I probably stepped too far into the minefield there. Let's let's just read you the description before you tell I tell you the title. <clears throat> a team of softball players get lost in the woods after their bus breaks down. They get attacked, beaten, raped, and murdered by some by some psychotic men. The women fight back with baseball bats and bows and arrows. The movie is called Blood Games from 1980, uh, directed by Tanya Rosenberg. Right. Yes, so it's it's a feminist film. I had never heard of it, and it is fucking phenomenal. It is. The, well, the, I, if you want to write it down on a on a you know a napkin, which is assume how they wrote down the original plot, mm. it's Deliverance with sexy baseball players, and. That's not a phrase I thought I'd say out loud, <laughs> but, but it literally takes the deliverance oh, formula dear. of you out of the wilderness. Which one's the Ned Beatty? Oh yeah, I can probably tell you which one. But uh, it's it's an interesting one because the it's the moment it starts off, it basically 
for the first couple of minutes, you, you just have to accept that this is a stupid film and it's going to get stupider because it right. literally starts off with no no premise beforehand, no setup in the middle of a baseball game between a bunch of sexy baseball players and a bunch of rednecks. And it's for like the head redneck's birthday, his, or the head redneck, his son's birthday. They've somehow invited this team out from the big city to of play baseball sexy, against sexy it, of sexy, sexy players. And they are kicking the shit out of the rednecks. And the rednecks are starting to turn it into a contact sport. And you're just like, I don't even know who these I, people are. I, I don't watched know the first 10 minutes of this. I got yeah. incensed. Oh, yeah. It's, but I, I, I had to stop because I thought, this is one that I need to see with others. It's, oh, it's a party it film. It will definitely it's, be a party film. Because after that 10 minutes that you miss, where they have a baseball game, which goes for. Ever, it, really it just keeps going. <laughs> really just like real baseball. Just like real baseball, except you know, I wasn't drunk. We're real sports lovers here. Folk. I, I definitely you need. To be fair, I'll be four and a half days shorter than a cricket game. So you know. <laughs> pretty much, yeah. But, but you get to drink more beer during a uh, cricket game, so so that makes up for it. So after this insanely long game goes on, and and it's just the whole town is there, and the whole town seems to take this game like the World Series, like literally the. The moment that the game was over and they've won, they basically just everyone gets up and walks off, and you're just going, "What? What is going on here?" And they try and add the plot in because the coach of the baseball team, whose daughters are two of the two of his, the sexy baseball players, are his daughters, which makes it weird when he walks into the locker room and says, "Hey, lady, hey, sexy ladies," at one point to a, the entire team there, and it's like, "Dude, your daughters are in this locker room. Get the fuck out!" Oh my lord. Um, and he's the good guy, right? But He's there, and they try, they're trying to explain it that he's paying off a debt. He's so he's making money to pay off a debt. There's, he's got a bet going on the side, something like fifteen hundred dollars, with the head redneck, you know, big big cheese of the redneck tribe here, right. who then completely welches on, pays him a, a pittance, and refuses to pay him the rest. And shit starts to go down. So he basically takes the this you know older man, jumps him in the bathroom, beats the shit out of him. The son of the Renix uh, goes to Avengers Dad, and suddenly the body count begins. Because this thing just looks like it could be kind of a... I mean, from the opening minutes, you don't know whether it's a comedy or a drama or a combination of both. And suddenly it turns into a fucking bloodbath. Because... Right off the bat. I mean, to be fair, the title does tip It does kind of give you... It does. Blood games, but... And, and right yeah. off the bat. Right off the bat. Hey, hey pun... If, if you miss the title, you would be confused as hell, right up until the point where a character, major character, ends up crushed between logs and a bus. And then it, it starts to escalate from there. And I did actually tweet at one stage the, the poster and simply said, this movie is the phrase, that escalated quickly in cinematic form. Right. Because wow. it just keeps going up and up on levels. And... Basically, it comes down to the fact of they run into philosophical complexity. No, philosophical complexity (laughs) of how far into the wilderness can you have to run to get away from an entire town of rednecks who want to kill you, your baseball team, just because that's the plot. Well, and you beat them. And beat them, and killed the dude's son. And it's I, I cannot believe I missed this film over my course of seeing. You know, picking things up off off shelves and video stores. I can't believe I've never heard of this thing. Well, it's a it's a vinegar syndrome, I think. Released. Yeah. It. So yeah. is it? I'm still not clear. Is it so bad? It's good. Oh, is it's, it so crazy? It's good. It's is it? Does, it's, is it? Its both? weaknesses disappear and become strengths. It's kind or of both because yeah. I mean the acting is 
what you expect from an 80s middle of the road sort of you know middle budget sort of one it's not but the the premise is just so weird i mean the, right. the fact is you could have anybody getting chased by this town of rednecks because you make a whole town of of rednecks that are you know they want you out of there they want to kill you yeah. you could have anybody but to throw in sexy baseball players just throws you on such a weird road right from the start that for the next 80 minutes you just basically accept anything that happens and by the end of it you cannot believe how many people this movie decides needs to die <laughs> i i did i think i tweeted at the end of it well at least they still have enough for a baseball for a basketball team because <laughs> you know no substitutes one on one <laughs> it's yeah literally it was if it had gone another 10 minutes longer yeah maybe a game of shuffleboard but um there was it, there is no prisoners taken maybe in this a movie. dirty game of canasta <laughs> And it's 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 seriously. If it had been a, a seventies one, it would have been even more really. If it had been made in the eighties, I think it was probably a little more fun, that a little a slightly lighter touch for a movie that could have just been a real grind. And definitely, if, it does require a bunch. I recommend it if you've got three other friends of like minds and, and yeah, twelve beers uh, yeah. minimum. It will definitely <laughs> play quite well. And it, it's the sort of thing that you could throw on the background in a party. And you know, what I, you know, I've, I've done like Jim Carter when I used to go to parties. And because I didn't like parties, I'd, I'd throw on a movie in the background and see how many, what movie, what weirdness I could put on that would stop the party. Jim Carter stopped the party uh, in its tracks. Oh, once they got to the Once we got uh, crazy to the, the crazy thing. And he was <laughs> yes, he'd fl- and he's spinning around on a, oh, a pommel horse, kicking people in the face. And Come the entire on. party stopped just going, what the fuck is Skeeter Come on, Matt and Ant Timpson, you have to program Jim Carter. <laughs> oh, Danger Diabolique was my go-to to put on at parties, actually. I, I wasn't oh, trying to stop because the party. Because that would just look like... Just, yeah, 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 just have it. Just have like what, 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 what about wallpaper? But amazing. Yeah, <laughs> running. I, how I could stopped, you go wrong? I stopped the party dead with um, uh, Jackie Chan's Twin Dragons as well, because it got to the final scene, and I suddenly noticed that there was no noise, and everyone was standing with the drinks in him watching Jackie Chan kick dudes in the face for t- for ten or fifteen minutes. And then it finished, and they went, okay, back to that. And I went, well, that's the end of my party. I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really like parties that much. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but definitely, if you if you do like a bit of 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 trash that's gonna just break your brain because of the script is just made up of weird components that shouldn't work together and yet somehow do. Yeah, Blood Games is great. Okay, yeah, excellent. All right, I got one. <laughs> Good. Uh, Only one. You, it's a bit classy. Can you turn it down a bit? <laughs> I have no. Let's see what we can do. Uh, Farewell, My Lovely, the 1975 film with Robert Mitchum playing Philip Marlowe. Oh, okay. And it is good. <laughs> I was... I I don't know. I, I There's been two of these movies, um, and I kind of thought, no, oh, it looks a bit blah. Wasn't what do you re- mean two of these movies? There's two Robert Mitchum, Philip Marlowe films. Oh, I see. I think the second one's directed by Michael Winner, so um, there's some class for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is, is there a category of directors whose names mean the opposite? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's not fair, because there is a there's a prequel movie Michael Winner did uh, called The Nightcomers, Starring, starring Marlon Brando, and it's uh, the prequel to Turn of the Screw. Okay, I apologize to, Merwin, or to uh, Michael Winner's estate. <laughs> well, it is, um, it's actually a really decent film. It's, the, um, it's how they all die, uh, <laughs> sort of. Um, and it, imply, it kind of implies that the, uh, 
the kids killed Peter Quint and sorry spoilers um, and the uh, the characters from the turn of the turn of the screw okay but they were almost kind of ghosts themselves so it's all sort of weird and wibbly and but really it has a, a great deal of atmosphere and for a Michael Winner film that is saying a heck of a lot but anyway, so he gets the participation award, but we're not here for that. We're here for <laughs> Philip Marlowe. Yes, yeah, so, uh, directed by Dick Richards, and and this one is. <laughs> we're, we're restraining ourselves there, but uh... <laughs> Dick Dicky, Dick Dicky, good, good old Dick Dicky, <laughs> Dick Dickards. Um, <laughs> yeah, and um, he it's uh, Robert Mitchum as Philip Marlowe is great. He just is so rumpled and so completely not together you wouldn't trust him to achieve anything at any time he's absolutely philip marlowe he's he's dogged but you don't really know that he'll actually do anything which is really how it's really how philip marlowe is and uh, the thing is my quintessential philip marlowe is elliot gould from the long goodbye but i've never actually seen any of the original Mm. kind of stuff so I don't really know like how reconstructed that it's very reconstructed but it's still he still works as Philip Marlowe I mean god the long goodbye is yeah well well you're cool to do anything yes absolutely and that's just one of the best of best films but um, but this one is just a heck of a lot of fun I'm not going to tell you the plot because it's pretty simple pretty obvious Marlowe-y type stuff but it um, has uh, Robert Mitchum, the Charlotte Radcliffe in there, oh, right. who's really good, of course. There's Harry Dean Stanton playing a um, asshole corrupt cop who's so honest about his asshole corruptory. It's sort of it, there's the uh, John Ireland plays the good cop, and the the bad cop will just tell him exactly what he's going to do to his face. I mean, it, it's nice to see that kind of honesty and evilry. Um, I have to say, say it as a, an aside, if there were any actor that I would consider being encyclopedic on, it would probably be Harry Dean Stanton, because he's been in a lot of stuff and not all of it's good, but I just always enjoy him. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you, you would enjoy him in this too. It's um, It actually has a credit for... Um, um, introducing Jack O'Halloran. Uh, Jack O'Halloran, uh, for uh, some of you film nerds out there, is the one of the villains in Superman one and two. Uh, with um, he's one of Zod's. Oh, he's the one who isn't Sarah Douglas or so Terrence Stamp. The, the, the slightly oh, bigger. Right. The bigger the, one. The slightly bigger of the three. <laughs> yeah. And he plays the very aptly named Moose Malloy. Um, <laughs> Uh, Joe Spinell's in there. Sylvester Stallone has oh, right. a, um, a little bit of a role. Everybody in a movie I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and even that? even Jim Thompson in a small role, the right. novelist. Wow. And it's just really, really good. It just has a... It's not comedic, it, but it has a sort of lighter atmosphere. Uh, right. Things don't always go right for um, Philip Marlowe. He doesn't necessarily solve everything he needs to solve in the right way. Sometimes he just stumbles upon the truth. It's um, and I've I've um, I've 
just seen uh, the trailer for a new Marlowe played by Liam Neeson. Liam Neeson, yeah, and that's oh, actually what? called Marlowe. Which yeah. is, uh, it could be, I mean, it, it is actually directed by, um, oh God, uh, kill, Killing a uh, Crying Game. Um, Neil Jordan? Neil Jordan, I think. Right. I really don't know what to make about that. I do think that Liam Neeson is really underrated as a comic actor. This is Um, in comic, though. Oh, right. This will be... uh, I mean, mean, this is a straight-up noir, but it just has a... There's an aspect of Marlowe that... It has a bit of humor to absolutely, it, though, because he's completely he's, missing from yeah. most latter-day Liam Neeson roles. Let's yeah. yeah, yeah, he he needs something to reboot his career. Well, he is of... gonna be in Naked Gun as the new oh, Frank, that's as what Frank it was. Trebin's that's son. Right. Woof! There's a new mate in Naked Gun. I'm glad I didn't know that, and now I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, in 2023, I've been going so well for you. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Well, yeah, I'm, so, I'm going back to bed for the next six months. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and, but the thing is, what I saw in the trailer is he just looks too, too clean and too sort of good at his job, and that's if you've ever this seen. This is Marlowe, not the yeah, gun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but if you've ever seen Bogart, I mean, he's sort of he's clever and he's quippy, but he doesn't necessarily get the job done. Wait, this him. is how stupid I'm being. Big sleep is big a sleep. Yeah. Mar- okay. Yes. Yeah, so yeah. Of course. I was going to say you, you did bury Marlo. the lead on that, that Michael Winner one, because that was a remake of the big sleep, uh, yes. which is fucking sacrilege because the big sleep's one of the greatest movies. Yeah. Yeah. Of all time. yeah I Michael Winner remade it in 1978. With Joan Collins. Okay. And, we we, we were all apologies Marlo. to his estate. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear, indeed. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yes, I just can't believe uh, I spaced on Mar- Philip Marlowe being the big sleep. Big sleep but, yeah. yeah, to be yeah. fair, it has been twenty-five years since I've seen it. Yeah, last time uh, I, 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 last time I saw it on the big screen was the fiftieth anniversary of it, which there was a screening of it, a, a beautifully new struck print at the time. Right, and that was one of probably one of our early date movies uh, with Dawn and I. So, um, and I still have the the actual movie poster framed because. Well, even though we were just dating, she went back and persuaded the movie theatre to give her the poster after the screening right. and then had it framed for me for my birthday. So uh, that's that still... And she got Humphrey Bogart to sign it. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also, Farewell, My Lovely is a remake of Murder, My Sweet, which I think Dick mm. Powell was the... Um, Yes, I think I can according to what I'm looking at here. Oh, so we could okay. we we could do a ludicrously specific on um, private dicks that call dick, uh, play by dicks at some stage. Yeah, because what we really need is an active excuse to make a lot of dick jokes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. once again, um, watch it, find it, watch it. It's good. It's I wasn't I wasn't expecting much from it at all, and I got a lot out of it. It. Uh, kind of had a little bit of the sort of 70s feel it wasn't sort of was downbeat but not but that was just life it's not like it was the 70s downbeat it's just that downbeat of no one's life was going well unless you were rich Um, which is like that's so basically the 2020s yeah (laughs) (laughs) um so my next one's going to be really weird. Oh, I didn't say I was finished. Oh, <laughs> I'm finished. <Good>. Okay. Um, <laughs> so I'm working on a found footage film, not like in a Blair Witch sense where I one shoots footage and pretends that it's found, but actively using existing footage. And so I've been watching some other found footage films uh, for inspiration and going back to various things that I'd seen before, like some of Bruce Connors' films. 
Uh, and so I was looking on Letterboxd for lists, and I found this mention of this film called Dial H-I-S-T-O-R-Y. Dial history, but, you know, if you type that in, you won't get it right. Uh, and, <laughs> and it said it was about um, high, plane hijacking. And I'm like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. And so I watched it, and I... It's first of all, it's on Vimeo. It's an obscurity that you can find. So the director uh, is a fellow named Johan Grimon Prez, and he has his own channel. And Dial Eight Dial History is on there, and so anyone can see this. So this isn't a um, talking about a thing nobody can see. Um, and it's a combination of footage and captions on screen and the occasional sound up from all of these news reports and coverage of sort of the era of hijackings in the 60s and 70s largely with the occasional throwback to what the first hijacking was and things like that um sometimes dealt with quite seriously sometimes with ironic counterpoint which occasionally stretches too far the bit where they're in um a rome airport where there's been a gun attack on a on a burger stand and they're mopping up the blood and they're playing on the uh, soundtrack. It's a bit misjudged. But but it's also just kind of this fascinating, weird little wavelet of this um, viral idea of terror. And obviously, like anybody who's been paying attention to America, well, pretty much at any given point. But like as we're having this discussion, we've just come off back-to-back shootings in California mm. of mass shootings by people over the age of 65 of Asian American descent. And it's like kind of like, where's that coming from? And more scarily, where's it going? Um, and you see the idea of this, that somebody could hijack something going viral and this kind of, um, the sheer absurdity and the grim reality of it kind of back to back. Cause you'll get these patient, these people who are hostages, but also just, kind of like a six-year-old who was just kind of amused by the whole thing or like they're getting fed really well or they're becoming friends and then somebody will get their head blown off. And it's just like, that's the reality of it. And the other interesting thing about it, which elevates it or, I don't know, it, it makes it probably even more marginal interest is the other texts that are used in it are... Um, from two Don DeLillo books, White Noise and Mao Too, and some people will have just seen White Noise on Netflix, because it uh, is the new Noah Baumbach film, and mm. appeared at the end of the year on Netflix, and it's got Adam Driver, and Don Cheadle, and Greta Gerwig, and it's based on DeLillo's book, where Adam Driver plays a professor of Hitler studies uh, in 1980, in the 80s, and uh, they're um, a sort of disaster scenario unfolds, uh, which is not really lo- obvious stuff for Baumbach, and it doesn't feel that obvious watching it, but um, this is a really interesting sister text to that one as well. But um, look, it's uh, it's 68 minutes. It doesn't outweigh its welcome. It's, you know, learning stuff about the Chinese Red Army and um, the some of the German... Uh, participant, excuse me, Japanese Red Army, uh, and some of the participants internationally that were kind of assisting each other and carrying these things out, mm-hmm. and contrasting it to things today, and also you know kind of 
there's this whole legacy of the security measures that have gone in place after that, which, you know, clearly weren't in place at the time. Like, there's footage of, you know, the first metal detectors, for instance, you know, and things like that. Um, yeah, I, I just found it really fascinating, like, and certainly not like anything else I'd seen. Incidentally, after I looked up the director, because I came to the film without knowing anything else, um, he had done another film that I haven't watched yet, but that I remember playing at the film festival called Double Take, which is entirely made from uh, Hitchcock films, and I think, but I'm not sure, might be mostly from Hitchcock appearances in Hitchcock films. Oh, so, that's more recent. Isn't yeah, it? that's like yeah. 2010 or something like that. This is a yeah. 97 film. Um, so yeah, he's he seems to have done a few of these kind of uh, assemblage type things, and so I'm interested in exploring his mm. uh, work a bit more, and that one sounds quite f- potentially quite more fun and more accessible perhaps for Luddites like ourselves mm-hmm. I, I'd, be, I'd be really interested if you do watch it just what your take is because at a certain level I don't think it is that inaccessible because the the quotations he used just sound like interesting observations to a degree like I can give you some inaccessible stuff if you oh, want it <laughs> every other week you do but, yeah, yes. <laughs> um, but actually go on give us the title of that one again that was Dial History H hyphen I hyphen etc etc. Well, maybe maybe we should actually take a step on the arty side. Yeah. And, uh, well, you know, you know me. I'm always I'm always down for that. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe I should. Steve Art House Skeet. He says, scrolling through the list of movies he's watching, and going, no, 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 no. Highest rated on Letterboxd, well, one point eight. Wait a second. <laughs> well, oddly enough, I have watched. Uh, a couple of definite four to five star movies and in fact I'll, the movie <coughs> the next movie I'm going to talk about is one which I've watched last year when it came out probably would have been at least a tie for my film of the year but I didn't see it until 2023 so it's still six with prey so talk about it now I will talk about it now talk about uh, it now nope nope I won't nope nope <laughs> I won't talk about nope I saw nope Oh, right. Are Jordan, we talking about no? Okay. Jordan Peterson's nope, no. Nope, 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 Jordan nope, Peterson. Jordan, no, not Jordan Peterson. Oh, God. Sorry. Oh, sorry. I do not want to My see brain. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> we'll edit that out. My brain is still not there. No, we, right. no, we won't. Leave you sorry. with the image of giant lobsters floating excuse, in clouds. Excuse me for <laughs> everything on that one. Uh, Jordan Peele's Nope from 2022, which I had somehow through a lot of scrolling over things very quickly avoided any plot points of I'd avoided trailers of it I'd seen like a yep. a brief little teaser and I mean that's more than enough for me and it probably came out six months not six six eight months ago July probably. or August yeah something like, like that, that. Yeah. so and I somehow managed to avoid it all the way through and then I finally one day after I got myself you know into the stage where I could watch movies again went okay I'm gonna put this on now because I've been meaning to watch it and fucking phenomenal I agree it is a trip I loved it it is it is not what I was expecting because it's not anything I think anyone would be expecting if you went into mm. a cold because it's everything it wants to be and nothing that you expect. Mm. So and it's also a Jaws remake. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of things. I mean, it's a Western. I just go up the outlet with Josie Wales. I'm saying, right, well, yeah. I'm back in the West, but it's kind of a Western, but it's also kind of a comedy. It's, it's kind of a sci-fi. It's a kind of a horror. It's a Peter Cronenberg and body horror. It's a kind it's... of the history of film. Oh, and Nope um, stands yeah. for Not of Planet Earth. 
There we go. Oh, does it? Big spoiler. Yes, I, yes. I, I heard that recently. There's, yeah. there's a few things which when, oh, you look, wow. when you watch the film, obviously we've all watched the film, I'm guessing, yeah. and then you look back at some of the teaser posters, right. for instance, and you go, that's not what it looks like on the poster. Now yeah. I've seen it, that's actually insert here. And I'm going to leave it blank because people, I, I assume most people listening to this will have watched Nope, but if you yeah. haven't, yes, you should watch Nope because it's, the, it's beautiful for a start. Yeah. It's shot so well. And, and I mean, those... yeah, it's also about our relationship with animals, and should we tame or should we leave them be? Yeah. It's the, I mean, there's so many different things, but I think they actually, I, to my opinion, I think he hits everything in the right way. Yeah, and it's it's and it's, it's probably as funny. As it's funny as hell. I mean, out of, out of the, I mean, we, he's he's on a hell of a roll. I like Get Out, but I like Nope a lot better. I haven't seen Us yet, and I don't know why, oh, why I missed that one, but well, it's well, it's definitely it's be on my radar as well. But it's you gonna, should it's see. Gonna be... I think you. I think you get. Some I'm going to be the um, dissenter here because I think I I think Nope is a really interesting film, um, and one of the things you didn't talk about that to me is actually kind of the central thing that brings Nope together is the complicity of Hollywood in of people. Uh, milking their trauma for personal um, or filmic gain. And I think it's very significant that Daniel Kaluuya, who's, um, uh, or historical trauma. So Daniel Kaluuya for, you know, from 12 Years a Slave and Judas and the Mm. Black Messiah, you know, he's built his career on reenacting these horrible Mm. traumas um, without giving any spoilers into the backstory of Stephen Young's character. Mm. Same thing, yep. um, and you know, and and then that seems, and this kind of um, question of if you look that in the face or you hide from it or how you handle that, um, it, and the question is that buried in the film format? And Jordan Peele actually did a um, a session at uh, in New York where he screened a bunch of films that he thought were related to Nope. And four of them starred Corey Feldman. Oh, and in his wow. original programming, four of them were going to star Michael Jackson as well. And then he decided that was too on the nose. So he only used the whiz. But um, I think that is not at all... Um, wow. That sounds pretty, like, coincidental until you, or like kind of a bit weird unless you look at this through a body trauma lens. And then it suddenly becomes very specific. I, I just couldn't fit everything I was trying to do together in a way that I enjoyed the pace and feel of. And I particularly thought the very ending I just felt was like, doesn't have, I felt like the very last shot, he has such, leans such a significance on it. It just doesn't have that mm. click of like, is that what all this has been for? And that's, and I, I, it does feel like, you know, it's a film of a free man. It's a film who got $70 million to make a film no one else would ever make that's an original concept, and I applaud that. The Michael Wincott stuff I thought was a bit lame. I right. thought was a bit lame. Um, so that's my thing. And Get Out I've recently rewatched, and I just think it's... Mm. Um, I, here's the thing, I guess. All, all three of those films have a social critique, and they have a traditional plot. And I think Get Out successfully braids those two at every moment in it in just this really elegant way. And 
Nope doesn't really do that. And and I'm not usually somebody who's that demanding about that, but it just I just really appreciate the elegance of Get Out so much. Um, I've only seen Us once, and I, I think it's pretty interesting, but it, I had the same struggle that I did with Nope, that I didn't feel like a lot of what it was saying was that, and it also quite over-explains its concept near the end, whereas um, Nope at least doesn't quite do that as much. But yeah. that's my take nope, on that. Nope, no, it definitely left a lot hanging out, and there's, there's parts of it, I mean, I've yeah. looked quite a minute, I, I thought the movie was phenomenal. Yeah. Halfway through, I'm thinking, there's, there's some plot theories here which feel unconnected, but... Yeah. Because I was enjoying the journey so much, I was quite happy to look. Okay, I've seen the backstory of one of the characters. It may come up later in the film. It may just be an interesting aside. Yeah. But I just, as I say, for me, it was the journey. It was yeah. not the destination. Uh-huh. I just love that journey yeah. of never knowing exactly where this movie is going to be in the next 20 minutes, but not in a, mm-hmm. in a random kind of blood games kind of way where you're just like, holy fuck, that don't make no sense, but it was hilarious. True, this was yeah. just Yeah, this was just kind of, a trip through this film and just just hanging back and, and as I say with the state of mind I'd been in with my, my, my vertigo I was just yeah. kind of going this is the kind of thing I need I need something that is very visual that's yeah. not in my face screaming and when you've got a character who underplays as much as our lead character um, <laughs> as much as Daniel undercut. Kaluuya's performance in this is genius it's, it's amazing yeah. he's so shut down yeah. I, did, so I did have to put the subtitles on because I, this movie was designed for IMAX and I'm pretty sure at IMAX I would have heard a lot more of his dialogue but you would have still struggled I mean I had seen yeah. it in IMAX but I saw it in VMAX I saw it twice because um, I thought the second time uh, oh. Sarah hadn't seen it when I saw I saw it first in America oh, right. and then um, Sarah wanted to watch it because we'd missed the critic screening here and mm. um I'm like, well, I'd like to see it again because I don't really know. I don't know about it. I don't know how you'll feel about it. Um, but yeah, just see it, see it, because that happens to me at least once a year. Yeah. Is like I, I get something and it, and it's not what I want it to be, and then the second time, mm. I can watch it for what it is, and it's like you know, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I always tell that story about Drive where I was really annoyed that it wasn't an existentialist 70s road movie. And then the second time, it's like, oh, it's a poppy 80s movie. Okay, got it. This is great. Move on. That's good. I probably have to go back and watch Driving, because the first time I watched it, I was expecting, you know, something like, you know, not a smoke in a bandit, but more like a a gone 60-second vanishing um, point, and it wasn't that. Two-lane blacktop. That's totally what I was thinking. And it is, is, you know, that Michael Mann, you know, thief, uh, manhunter kind of era to live and die in LA kind of thing is what it's Which, going and for. And that was a movie that took me about three goes to really discover the yeah. genius of to live and die in LA. The first time I saw it, I went, it's good, but in my head, I went, it's cliched. And then when I looked at it later on, I'm like, no, this is this is making up cliches. Right. It's not the cliches. It's the fact that I'm watching it 30 years down the track and yeah. I've seen these beats before that it's, each time I watched it, it got better. Until the last time I saw it, I went, this is just a fucking work of genius. This is a five-star I mean, movie. I, I find the film that I... I try for the most part to go in with a fairly open mind so I don't put what I want onto the movie. I mean, I remember... I mean, I'm sure I mentioned this in our last uh, podcast that I loved the menu for everything it wasn't in the trailer. So I I went in expecting something I didn't even Mm. necessarily want to see. Yeah. And therefore... And got something so much better, and it. I ha- I haven't seen it again yet, but it, it just keeps getting better and better in my mind. That film, yeah, menu just replaying different scenes, but I mean, 
Everyone's entitled to their opinion, uh, yeah. Doug, but shut up, stupid man. <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I, I, do, I, do, I do, like, quite honestly feel like the second time you see a film and you know what it is. Yeah. That, you know, I mean, I'll, I'm happy to... Yeah, I mean, and, the, and you know, what it's doing may just not connect with me on any Yeah, level, absolutely, you know? and that's fair, too. Like, I mean, you know, there's so... I mean, people like Twilight, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and... Um, Michael Wincott, I, I felt like he was very much a part of the jaws of it all. He was kind of the, the quint. The quint, yeah, definitely mm. the quint. And I mean, and I just, I was watching the film and I was so deeply into it and I was laughing and enjoying it and then all of a sudden I thought, fuck, that's Jaws. <laughs> there's a fin. There's, the, well, the idea of a fin and there's yeah, yeah. the... The people running for cover, and there's the. I'm, I'm still not giving yeah. it away well, what's happened, uh, but it, it, <laughs> and, and, and close in the beach. Yeah, and there's so much of that. Yeah, and there's the um, the mayor not wanting to shut down things, yeah. and it's yeah. and having the quint and and but that's only just like almost like a window dressing. That's mm. just a little part mm. of what it is, and yeah. then you do have uh, the. Um, the black experience in in cinema going way back to the twenties, I think, was mm, yeah. Uh, with the, oh, the oh even before that, well, because it's literally the Moybridge film. Is, oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I think it's like an amazing film to talk about, and that has mm. all this stuff as a nexus, and you can take it and pull it apart in all that directions. So on that level, it's super exciting. I just. Hey, no one Wish said I, we all have yeah. to agree, and we never, we never do. There's always a movie where no, it's like, no, no, but we, uh, we do that have to all agree. Yeah, we, we have, have to agree. All agree. We have to agree that Nope is a film. Yes. <laughs> okay, good, that's done. I'm gonna pass. And you should see us. agree that you should see. I can see you. Yeah, oh, us. Oh, got it. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it's. Uh, I think you'd. I think you'd really enjoy. It. Uh, again, it's very, very funny, and it's got a whole bunch of different ideas. And you won't see where it's going, I don't think. Definitely either. won't do, yeah. And once again, I, I haven't seen a trailer. I've seen a first trailer for it, and that was a long time ago, and I've ignored everything since mm. then. Because if I want to see a film, you know, I don't have a problem seeing a film if I know twists and things like that, but these days, I, I, there's not enough surprises in films. Yeah. I see it too many films where halfway through, I'm like, I've seen this film before. Mm. I've seen this film a dozen times. Mm. If something comes along that is that original, I can just sit there and just go, show me, show me things. Well, ever since I mean, Avatar two is kind of like that. It's sort of the the first hour is just sort of set up of it and revenge type stuff and show and sort of going through those usual kind of things. But then it gets to the second hour and it becomes a conservationist story about save the whales, and it's. Uh, what he does with that story and how he reproduces the these um, amazing whale type creatures with tonkoons kundoons tonkoons oh tonkoons um the tom croons um <laughs> um apparently it's very pedantic about it on set and get really mad if people call them whales <laughs> they're not well, whales. We, we won't yeah. call them whales these things just happen to look a hell of a lot like whales but are done but if they were whales it'd be but, star trek but they, so, they yeah. represented whales <laughs> um and they just i was just so taken by every part of that storyline yeah so much so that uh, yeah i could forgive it the first hour of boring setup. It's, um... Well, it's funny that you kind of make that division of it. Cause to me, it's almost three parts. It's like the first hour of setup, 
an hour of we're going to hang out in the water and James Cameron's just going to be like, I've been dreaming about doing like all the stuff I've never been able to quite do in underwater photography, even though I've shot fucking Abyss and Titanic and I'm going to do it now. And either you go with that hanging out with it and, and a man at the top of his technical game who's passionate for the underwater living his dream and it should, and you don't care about the story. And I loved that. And that mm. was amazing. And that, so when I said pretty good before it, it was much more a mixed, like kind of yeah. the first hour. Yeah. Whatever. The second hour, I could just live here. Mm. And then the third hour is largely one of James Cameron's best action set pieces God, ever. Absolutely. It goes on for like an hour. And, um, yep. and if it weren't for some slight kitty elements in it, um, I'd, I'd be even more positive about it. I, I might even go back and see it twice and maybe just like... Well, I'm the last um, person left in the world, apparently, that hasn't seen the first one and has no interest right. in the second, but that's just me, you know? I think the thing... I mean, I think it's just so you can say that and oh, yeah, so the listener yeah. can go, ooh, he has a... Oh, he's a... He's a just because you're racist ooh, against so blue people. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched two Smurf movies, thank you very much. <laughs> that does... That gets you pity. That doesn't get you I'm cred. father, you have to watch that these things That don't mean nothing here. <laughs> I don't know uh, what that accent no, was. No, I don't know what that was either. <laughs> you better get onto your next movie before you get us cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's you. No, I've just done my movie. I just have did you? Nope. Oh, right. Oh, it's so my it's next over movie. To you. Yeah. Yes. All right. My next movie is. Um, uh, well, it started with. <laughs> um, this is uh, three films that were. Um, that range in a kids' film that is slightly adult to a slightly more adulty f- um, animated film to a very, very adult animated film. So. I decided I was going to watch Rover Dangerfield. Right. The and I'm Rodney getting blank faces yeah, no, here. I, I know that one because I've it, never seen it, but it's Rodney Dangerfield as a dog. Correct. <laughs> Does this dog have respect issues? <laughs> In only one line. One line he brings up. But um, I'm going to show you a picture of Rover Dangerfield, which is great radio. Oh yeah. my gosh! Yes. Yes. And uh, and so I've he's a, um, yes, he is. He is a, a dog. chubby dog with a, a red necktie, a red, red necktie, and no pants. And well, <laughs> and most dogs don't just, have pants. Uh, yeah, you know, just yeah. like I mean, Ronnie Dangerfield in real life. <laughs> it's just don't put your expectations. I'm sorry. On either wear pants and no tie, or just don't don't bother with the tie. <laughs> frankly, you'd be you're just putting on ears and graces. And it's it's kind of. It's interesting. It's <laughs> <laughs> a glowing endorsement for you. <laughs> well, because the idea is that it's Rodney Dangerfield is an LA dog and he does he plays crap games with other dogs and he's he's um, his um, owner is an LA showgirl who he's a little bit too enamored of, um, which is a, is a little worrying. Um, but um, then the uh, her. Um, gangster boyfriend um who's a right bastard who even almost beats her up in an animated film i might add a dom bluffed style animated film um decides to get rid of rodney dangerfield's dog and um dumps him over a uh a hydra like a, like a dam dam a yeah dam. You know, for kids. Yeah, (laughs) throws him off a dam, and he survives and winds up in a farm. And now it's Rodney Dangerfield and having to be a farm dog. 
and all that. So he's put out to pasture, kind of like Puss in Puss in Boots. <laughs> <laughs> and infinitely better. <laughs> uh, but the thing is, it some of the some of the the jokes are a bit blah and what have you. But Rodney Dangerfield is an incredibly I mean, a polished comedian. He's he'd been around for a very long time. Uh, this is 1991. Um, so it's a, a good comedian is going to be able to deliver even bad material really well. But what's the weird thing is it's a musical and he has pretty much all of the songs. Oh, you're not selling me on this here all of a sudden. And I sent you a video of a... Uh, I did get that th- clip and I haven't watched it because I saw And the song is called that. I'll Never Do It on a Christmas Tree. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> that's, that's why I didn't click the link right off the bat. But um, I, I, I will listen to that at some stage. <laughs> Christmas! <laughs> yeah, so it's... Yes, he will... Um, he'll, he'll never uh, take the urine on a, on a Christmas tree is the general rule and and it's a song that lasts about two minutes about him there's a lot of nuances to, to cover here huh? him not pissing on furs or, uh, um, okay but that's the thing is it bit by bit it becomes more slightly darker and slightly more like a Rodney Dangerfield thing and it's I mean not Rodney Rodney Dangerfield's never my favourite comedian um but he's he's entertaining and worth a watch and it was just kind of good and he does get the girl which is kind of weird the girl <laughs> being lassie or, or, or a lassie lookalike um and he saves the day and does all those sort of things what and, breed is rover dangerfield do we have we decided he appears uh, to be a a, a dog a dog, <laughs> pretty much Generic just a cartoon a, dog, kind of bigish but fat yeah, and overweight. Sort of a yeah, not quite golden retriever quality <laughs> there. So yeah, not really a, but somewhere in that. But he's vicinity. called Rover, so yeah, it dog. could be anything. He's, yeah. he's 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 definitely a dog. <laughs> but it's it was just uh, for some some strange reason that made me feel like right. I'm what can I follow this up with? Monkey bone. Oh, okay. The Henry Selleck film. The Henry which Selleck film. I've never seen. Film. I know it exists, and that's my. And it's. It swings for the fences in a way that most films never do. And my God, it doesn't always achieve it, but it's all. A... Remind me of the conceit of Monkey Bone? Uh, okay, so Monkey Bone is a, um, a depressed, repressed cartoonist. He's um, wanting to uh, propose to his um, to uh, his his girl long time girlfriend. He's uh, made a real success with Monkey Bone. He's um, sold six whole episodes of a cartoon series uh, of Monkey Bone, which is a um, anthropomorphic. Um, uh, monkey penis, essentially. Uh, uh, monkey right. as a penis. So that's what the bone is. Monkey okay. bone type. Yeah, yeah. And um, it has a whole bunch. It's. He. Uh, uh, let's think. 
Dave, Dave Foley is his... I thought we were trying to not get you cancelled. <laughs> Dave Foley is um, his good friend who's also his agent who's trying to sell all the uh, licensing rights. And so... Because you know for kids. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so there's a whole whole heap of uh, monkey bone lunch boxes and all this sort of thing. He's trying to propose to his girlfriend... Uh, for whatever reason, Dave Foley chooses to um, load up uh, uh, Brendan F- Brendan Fraser's uh, car with all the merchandise, including a giant blow-up monkey bone. Which um, so uh, Bridget Fonda and Brendan Fraser are in the car. Uh, Bridget Fonda being his. Is this why Bridget Fonda quit acting? <laughs> it's pretty close to when she did. Potentially, it's, uh, it's one hell of a cast. I'm telling you. I'm and she down takes this so seriously. She gives a great performance in a film that does not deserve. <laughs> it's um, but she doesn't understand what the film is. But right. To be fair, maybe the film doesn't either. Um, so uh, they're driving. Uh, they are just about to drive out of the parking lot when the giant blow-up monkey bone blows up and pushes the foot down on the accelerator or pushes pressure onto the accelerator. And um, they crash and Brendan Fraser is in a, a, a very long coma. And so then he goes down to downtown, which is this crazy anything goes, stop motion animation, everything. It's just so much imagination on screen. Uh, By imagination, do you mean drugs? (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's just... Uh, it's so much imagination on screen, and then he sees uh, Monkey Bone. Is... So a lot of his own nightmares are there, but there's also other nightmares and yeah. other things. So it's not all his stuff, but Monkey Bone is there, and it is a uh, which is his creation, doing a sort of cabaret act, and then. Um, singing a song about a girl with a loose caboose and uh, ripping off his ears, blowing them up into balloons and use, uh, putting on a, um, a Marilyn Monroe dress and using his ears as, as fake boobs. But how does he feel about weeing on Christmas trees? <laughs> <laughs> I think I need to know. Wow. There's oh, so much going on. No shit. Yeah. And... Um, and one of the strangest things, I'm trying not to. I mean, how can I give plot? But um, uh, Whoopi Goldberg. There's a plot. Whoopi Goldberg plays um, plays death. Um, yeah, I, I just have to interrupt you and run down this, this cast list because it's frigging insane. Brendan and Fraser, uh, Bob Fonda, Odenkirk has Bob an amazing recurring John Turturro as Monkey Bone's voice. Chris Kattan yeah. as Organ Donor Stu. Giancarlo Esposito. As Hypnos, Rose McGowan, Dave Foley, Bob Odenkirk, and Whoopi Goldberg. My God, that's a cast. Yeah. For a movie that sounds like it was beaten with an LSD stick. It's, and it's probably, um, not that I've seen that much of him, but Chris Kattan is, he turns up near the end of the film. So the idea is that uh, Brendan Fraser wants to get home, of course, because he's in a coma. Monkey Bone helps him, but in actual fact, Monkey Bone double-crosses him. 
and goes back to the real world. So he's now in Brendan Fraser's body. And Brendan Fraser is stuck in the um, in downtown, as they call it. Mm. And um, at one point, uh, I'll just skip over. Is this over a Buddhism and... parable? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, the, the thing is, I just, in spite of myself, I enjoyed it so much. There was just so much imagination. They, even though there's not a lot of internal logic to it. They commit to everything. Chris, um, he can't get back in his own body because his own body is occupied by monkey bone. So he gets put into the body of a, um, a, a gymnast who broke his neck, who is organ donor Stu, which is Chris Catan, who has never given a better performance than this, has never been more likable, is actually doing an impression of Brendan Fraser just in terms of his physicality and it's and and uh, the fact that when he wakes up it's uh, he, he's in the middle of uh, the um there's a team of doctors taking organs headed by Bob Odenkirk so rather than it just being a cameo Bob Odenkirk is then determined to get the all the organs from the body that is running away that shouldn't be running away <laughs> and so they just kick and so you've got scenes of of these five doctors just running around trying to uh, catch Chris Catan's character I'm having a lot of trouble wrapping my head around this next time that I get sick and I get a I'm going to just monitor my temperature and once it gets over the danger <laughs> yeah, level yeah. I'm going to put this movie on and see what the fuck happens I just I, I don't know because it Every logic tells me I should not have enjoyed it as much as I as I did, but it is just as a legendary flop. That's the main yeah. thing I know about. Is it absolutely cost the studio tens and I, of millions of dollars? I suppose once again, I had, career for I had no expectations, um, or even lower than that. But um, but it's just really fun, and it commits. And I've I've always been taken by films that have imagination. And this one has so much imagination. There's so many different characters that have one or two lines. There's a, uh, a mutated Joe Camel who's just trying to bum a smoke. Uh, Joe this Camel will be before from... they cut cigarette advertising yes, in films, films, clearly. Yeah. Well, 2001 is when the... Wow. Uh, so it might be after. I know. See, I, I only have one person on my letterbox uh, friends list who's seen this, our, our friend Dave from Wellington, and he's given it a staggering half-star rating. So right. I, I think he may agree with you on that We are not in agreement. <laughs> and not on that one, so... Shut uh... up, stupid face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Do you think I can get that as a catchphrase? Yeah, well, no, no, you're working on it. You're definitely yeah. working on it. And then I chose to follow that the next day with Cool World. Okay, the back cheese. Which, yeah, again, so much imagination on screen. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> that is the noise I've heard most associated with that film. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's the thing is that Disney can integrate... Human, humans and animation really well and have done so since the 60s. There is no attempt <laughs> to get good camera angles or lighting or... And that re I don't know why that took me out of... I mean, anything could have taken me out of Monkey Bone, but it didn't. But 
watching Brad Pitt put his arm kind of crookedly over an animated character and you not seeing any real connection or any sort of it just yeah and and those things seemed like they were really important to have human interaction i mean you've got hollywood who's kim basinger's character spoilers at one, at one point is um, fucking Gabriel Byrne, and there is no connection. <laughs> like physically, like, is it that's, just kind of like... That's an awkward day for an actor on set. Right. Okay, just imagine Kim Basinger's above you. I've done that before. Oh, you mean now, okay. Sure, yeah, action. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's Ralph Bashke directed this and wrote this, I think, and it has a lot of that kind of feel of freewheeling, crazy, and... and and I can enjoy that on a good day. Sometimes I find his characters too ugly and mm, off-putting. I've always struggled with it. I think I mentioned it before on the podcast that I've always struggled yep. with it because I find them shrill and I find the character designs off-putting at times. And yep. I mean, I, I like Fire Ice, but that is Frank Fazetta art that has been rotoscoped. Yes, so it's, right. it's really, a, you know, that style jumps out like a you know something out of Heavy Metal magazine, whereas something that he's, he's done... I can see, you know, how much work he's put into it, but it's just, it's never been my, my style. It's, it's hard for me to get through one of his films. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of half and half, because he has lots of cutesy characters, and then he has lots of grotesque characters. Mm. But he also has lots of characters in the background running back and forth, but they're not going up a street or anything they're just going directly across the bottom of the screen right. so again yeah. it doesn't doesn't it fit respect it the doesn't... physical geography of what they've been not at all it's um I mean, that, that's often i mean that's like watching someone these days I'm, I'm standing on an obvious green screen yeah and i was i was I, a movie i think it was the christmas movie that i talked about last time that my wife watched and thor I, and thunder oh wait no no definitely <laughs> not <laughs> i haven't seen that one still haven't probably one but uh, uh, the christmas movie that my wife watched with uh, oh, yeah. the man that believed in christmas or whatever it was oh and, yes yeah and a character they cut to as he's talking to them and they cut to him for a second time and he's on a green screen an obvious green screen even though literally he was in the same room with them a shot before and it's like what the fuck happened there they had a pickup yeah. They shot him on a green screen, pasted him in, and didn't do a particularly good job. And your entire, whatever you were concentrating on that scene, is just like, where the fuck was he that day? <laughs> well, what did they change there? That's, it's, if you can't integrate it properly, don't fucking bother, seriously. Mm. Yeah, and, and it's just because that was so important to what the story was, is that it's, uh, you've got a 1940s guy who um, crashes and burns on a, um, a motorbike he, with his... Um, that he's riding with his mother because he's just taken his mother out on his his brand new motorbike. And um, she dies and then he dies. But for whatever reason, um, this uh, strange professor character at the same time has opened up a portal and, um, and he falls into it. For no Is real mom reason. just dead from now on? What was rest? that? Mom's just dead. She's just Mom's just very dead. Yeah, yeah right. she's, she's gone. Right. No, so it's a and Disney never movie. referenced again. I, yeah. Well, you kill um, you kill off the mother in the first. So act. that's, that's Disney. Brad Pitt's kind of has Babylon's yeah. sense yeah. of humanity. Yeah, it'd have been another Brad Pitt movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go, and, and that's Brad Pitt's character, and he, I mean, in his early career, for me, I I never found him that interesting. He was always the pretty boy that didn't have a lot of character. It's probably. Um, 
Oh, God. True romance. True romance and, um, oh, God, uh, 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 Drive, um, what's it, uh, the two, uh, Thelma and Louise are probably, uh, <laughs> yeah. are probably where he's had more character, but everything else is very sort of bland and very, yeah, uninteresting. And once again, he's doing that as a 1940s cop with no feeling of the 1940s whatsoever. And so he's been in that world up until um, 1991, right. where the film is set. And um, so he's very much their policeman now. And, um, and for no real reason other than because... Uh, Hollywood reaches out to Gabriel Byrne, who believes he's he, um, her artist. He's the one who created her. He's a cartoonist in in prison is the first time we see him, but they never advise... Actually, they might mention that he... I feel like you're putting more thought into this than they did. Yeah, perhaps. <laughs> so, so you've got Gabriel Byrne is the artist. You've got... Um, and so those are our three main characters, uh, is um, Hollywood, which is Kim Basinger, the um, Brad Pitt policeman who is trying to stop Gabriel Byrne from fucking Hollywood, and Holly wouldn't you if you were in that mm-hmm. situation, I don't know, it's... Uh, no comment. But um, but there wouldn't be any real connection if it's directed by Ralph Bakshi. No, yeah, yeah. Um, I think I actually haven't seen any Ralph Bakshi, and I feel very fortunate about yeah. it. No, you you have. You've, you've seen. Uh, you've copies. seen. Um, um, uh, with the Scatman Crumbers. Yeah, Coonskin. I wasn't yeah. there that year. No, you didn't see Coonskin. No. You haven't seen it. No. 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 Uh, but that's what the house I keep telling you, you haven't seen it. No, you haven't seen that one. I mean, I've seen I've seen Coonskin, I've seen Wizards, very, so I've seen a few shrill, ones like that, but. There's yeah, the, the Scatman Crothers of it is yeah, but it, it is that it's, it is that unconnected feeling to a lot of those films where, as you say, you've got characters in the back that appear to be in their own little white space. There, right. you know, he may have in, in some of his early ones, he may have real life Lots photographic backgrounds and things, photographic and... backgrounds, and an animated character in front, and it just things like mm. Fritz the Cat. I find I've once again I've seen, yeah. and once that was going back to watching that with my father and all when he you know was collecting all his movies, and we watched Fritz the Cat, and I was just like. I just can't get into this because right. it just feels I mean everything feels somewhat improvised and you think an improvisation improvised dialogue in an animated film this is actually the, the dialogue that wrote and as you say nothing seems to quite connect up and I mean he's got a, a mass amounts of fans he's still very active on Twitter and I, oh, you know, I definitely oh, respect really? the hell out of his of him for how much work he put into those films because you try and animate The Lord oh, of the Rings. I mean, Good fucking luck. Mm, yeah, a, yeah. That is a big fucking book to turn into an animated film. Or you know, well, you did was, half of it. It was supposed to be in the whole lot, but just didn't work. But you know, the the amount of work that goes into any animated film, you've got to admire. But it's just it is yeah, nothing for me. It's so work, unfortunately. So I think the thing too is that there's no. I mean, and there doesn't have to be that much thought when it comes to animation, but there's really, there was no reason for these events to happen and there was no ideas behind it. It wasn't really trying to tell us about relationship between artists or it was just saying um, animated characters can fuck and get so they can get out. 
mm. <laughs> into yeah. the real world. It just feels like it was trying and to be, be edgy. I mean, it does it make me want to go back it and... Was, yeah. It, it makes me want to go back and rewatch um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit again, your description. Well, everything wants me, <laughs> makes me want to do that. I'd, that was interesting, because that was a film I saw in the Civic. I remember kind of liking it, but not liking it as much as I wanted to like it. And I... But I suppose because it was actually quite an adult story, mm. and I and it's over the years, of, it's very much in my heart now. I mm. love Who Framed Roger mm. Rabbit, and I really appreciate the art of it and everything about the it. Chinatown references. The chi- yeah, exactly. It's, yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, I mean, we mentioned Babylon briefly. I know that um, Doug and I have seen it. Uh, I. It's such a big film. <laughs> I, I know I, I saw an interview, uh, a review recently from Mark Commode who said it's like someone saying ah, 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 in your face for three hours. <laughs> I, I, I disagree. So, so he's been a bartender then. <laughs> <laughs> but it's what I, I mean, it's a film set in the 1920s and what I really appreciated about the film because it's not so much the characters, because I didn't really care that much about any of the characters per se. But it's, to me, where the film really works is it's an immersion of that time in the 1920s where anything could be had or given or sold or bought in the name of Hollywood. It was a brand new time. There was... And and also the I mean those amazing scenes when they are making the films the silence and those mm. sort of things and the fact that um, the um, the cannon fire is always too close and because they didn't care about that sort of stuff they didn't they didn't have Osh no. back then it's I loved the immersion of it and I haven't I've read lots of reviews and I haven't seen anyone actually state it that way to me that's how the film works is it feels like it's trying to immerse you in this time and place and i think and also the anxiety of making these things for the first time and using sound for the first time and i i really enjoyed those scenes and the toby Maguire scene which is god uh, it's the just, first half of which I'm is, fine with. It's quite harrowing um, and, and definitely gets quite exploitatory. Yeah, it's what if. So for me, it's. But I didn't care about the characters. Yeah. And so I wasn't in there for the characters and I, I, didn't, I didn't expect them to have any growth and they didn't. There was not a lot of depth to anything they did, I don't think. So I, I, I kind of want Steve to see it, although I don't think it's a priority because I know how you feel about singing in the rain and you know how I feel about singing yeah. in the rain. And this is basically mm. what if singing in the rain, but boogie nights and, Ooh, okay. and it's basically ah. like, let's get the dark underbelly of it. And, and it feels almost like to, this is to singing in the rain is Winnie the Pooh, blood and honey is to Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> um, but a, a, a fairer comparison would be like Requiem for a Dream or right. Irreversible, both of which I feel like get referenced at points. There's a lot. Yeah. Of, there's a lot of references. You, you've lost me on Irreversible. In here, that's one there's of those films that I won't see. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not like that. Not like there, there's well, not, very yeah. few films are like that from my world. Yeah, uh, but there's one long descent into hell, which is not as harrowing as Irreversibles, but very much feels like. Uh, it's the Tobey Maguire scene yes. he's discussing that very much feels like it's a direct 
referent, and it's a very long scene for what feels like very little return for me. Other Most than of the film it's is deliberately also evoking the Boogie Nights scene with Alfred Molina um, and oh. Night Ranger and all of that, and it's a very similar. And it just, uh, I don't know. It it's it's an immaculately made film. Damien Chazelle, technically is a genius and like a lot of what he pulls off. And I, I was really on the fence. I'd heard some from some people I respect and kind of have a lot similar taste to that. It, they didn't think it was worth my time, but uh, another friend of mine really liked it. And, and Seen he it came, twice. well, he came for the second time hmm. and he liked it better on a second time, which helps, you know, once you know all the characters and all of that, but um, yeah. Anyway, you did four films, so I'm going to do two really quickly. Yep. Um, my, my animated film, actually, I'll do three. Oh, I've got to mention, Gene Smart is really great as the Hedda Hopper yeah. character. That was another thing, because I'd seen Hail Caesar, and I felt like that did a lot of what this film did in that half the time song. and mm-hmm. half, the, half the ostentatiousness um, and more of the humanity, even Over though it's you. a Coen Brothers film. Um, oh, anime one character brilliant as well so speaking of animated as we were before babylon came up apollo 10 and a half a space age childhood i've been meaning to it's on netflix it's the new richard linklater film do you know about it i have think i've scrolled across it i i don't watch a lot of movies on netflix because a lot of them that i have watched on netflix have have wasted my time for two and a half hours so i'm i'm more picky on there than i am i'm much more on tubi these days but i have scrolled across (laughs) it Tubi, oh, that's where I saw Blood Games. Serious, that's where yeah, Blood Games I, I, <laughs> Yeah, a very specific des- oh, yeah. definition about what wasting time means. But um, <laughs> Apollo 10 and a half has been sort of mismarketed as this animated story about this kid who uh, goes on this mysterious mission for NASA because they've accidentally built the capsule too small and he fits oh. in it is is the trailer and that's in the film but it's kind of made very clearly that's just a, a biography fl- of his fantasy richard linkletter or well degree essentially so the main character who's voiced by jack black is telling what it's like growing up in houston in the late 60s and his dad works for nasa and i i haven't really investigated deeply how much is you know kind of a fableman's like one for one reconstruction and how much is just kind of there. But it it starts with this NASA stuff. And then it just detours for an hour into um, anecdote after anecdote about growing up during a time where safety wasn't very important in a weird neighborhood in Houston and all the memories they had. It's just a super fun nostalgia trip. Um, speaking of a nostalgia trip, uh, I watched a film that I hadn't watched for 10 years uh, with Darren that I'm surprised he didn't mention because I thought he would have liked it enough to mention as one of his three. I just um, so many. Which is, I, I was uh, hoping you would. Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning. Oh, oh which yeah. I have never <laughs> seen in 3D before and Darren's one of the only people I know that has a 3D setup and I've been sitting on the 3D Blu-ray since it came out and have only ever seen it in 2D and um, I've seen Avatar this year and I've seen Universal Avatar The Way of Water and I've seen Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning and I know which is the better 3D experience Absol- because <laughs> oh my gosh it's, there's um, immersive 3D it right. is so these so the action good. scenes are just I mean it's a very strange film because <laughs> it evokes David Lynch <laughs> it evokes Gaspar Noe it goes for long, long quiet moments i started describing the plot of it to sarah and she's like so it's kind of fun i'm like no it's not fun it's just kind of quiet and dark and sad but also it has absolutely as much action 
an axe kicking as you could possibly want in a Universal Soldier movie. There's also Apocalypse Now in there. There's Memento in there. There's kind of like philosophical stuff. But then there's just like the two of them beating the shit out of each other in a bathroom or in a sporting goods store (laughs) or a nine minute, yeah, like nine or ten minute minute uninterrupted take. Where where the um, the good guy um, ends up going on a killing spree, killing all the other good guys. I mean, it's... I've I've heard about it and I've really heard that it's, it's, it's an almost unexplainable movie and I I don't even know where it sits in the Universal Soldier franchise. I've only ever seen the first one, but it's whenever people talk about it, that's the one that seems to have the most people saying, it's "Remember true. that one? Do you oh, remember wow. that one? Have you seen that one?" So I I saw one when it came out and all I could remember is um, the war is over. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's a. If I had any guilty pleasures, that would be one of them. It's Dolph Lundgren is, I mean, he's playing a robotic character, but even other robots are just like beep boop, get some emotion into your performance. It's got a fight scene at the end, which is literally ten minutes of two characters going ah at each other. That They're is in the, the swamp, the right? That's they fight in a, in a like a farmyard, and it's ah, got yeah, a yeah. very telegraphed about who's going into the into the wood chipper shortly. But it has the second best. Well, no, it's a nineties movie, no? So the best explosion of the 1990s when they blow up the gas station, which uh, uh, Duke John Claude Van Damme survives by hiding in a, the back of a car that's right next to an exploding gas station that puts a fireball <laughs> about a mile into the air. It is, as far as practical explosions go, right up there with the Wraith, which is right. one of my favourite yeah. practical explosions of the 80s. Well, when... believe it or not, Dolph Lundgren is the most charismatic <laughs> member of the cast Absolutely. So basically, basically wow. the setup of this is Van Damme is playing Marlon Brando's character in Apocalypse and Now. And I've heard and, enough. And, no, you haven't, because Dolph Lundgren is playing Dennis Hopper's character. I've, I'm definitely going to watch this movie. <laughs> and Scott Atkins is Martin Sheen, apparently, or something. He could, literally you know, going down he the could river. See that. Kind um, of. But oh, it, also, God. it's basically Memento. Also, it's just like some of the most ask. And the first eight minutes are POV. First eight minutes are all I'm Scott starting to think you're making this shit up and I'm uh, getting pranked. Look, I, no, it, it is a bit <laughs> like well, we that. Did, we had a conversation earlier. So to go, into, to go into where it fits in, Universal Soldier 2, I don't know much about. Then there's two direct-to-video ones. Uh, and then... So this uh, is maybe number TV. five. So, no. So number five is Universal Soldier Regeneration, which is directed by John Hyams as well. And that's that's a pretty good action movie. Right. Um, it's like, yeah, so that's, this is number that's six. a good action. Essentially. Although the other, the third and fourth brain, one are kind of brain. like, <laughs> seem to be ignored as well. And so often this, it's considered that only the ones that where actual theatrical releases count and the other two are often written out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like he got their trust with regeneration and then got given free reign and just one of those I mean it's that kind of that famous exploitation thing as long as you deliver the elements which are you know as seen where people get completely ripped apart every five or ten minutes then you could do just about whatever else you want and if it's you know create stroboscopic effects that will probably give people epilepsy make a 3D movie um, have nuts it just yeah, it's it's wow. so worth it. It it's, yeah. it it's I was I was hoping that Doug would talk about it because it, it's absolutely yeah. the the 3D is stunning. It has no right to be as good as it is for what it is, but right. it's just 
It is a full-on assault. Yeah, it does sound like the. Um, I mean, John Hyams went on to do Black Summer and do Alone, which played at Terrify, and um, he's just done this new uh, movie, Sick, with Kevin Williamson, and he just has such a clean, which is not a sense of action. No. Um, <laughs> sick with Sounds Kevin like Williamson. <laughs> oh no, Sick, but it's written by Kevin Williamson, <laughs> who did Scream, and it's a COVID, COVID slasher. Right. So, um, but he just has such a clean and pure sense of action cutting. It's a really mm. Great film. One last film I'll mention very quickly because I feel very remiss. Megan, um, I really enjoyed it. You two haven't seen it. Yep. You should go see it. Well done, Gerard. Congratulations. Definitely want to yeah, see that. Puss in Boots, I, I saw on, um, <laughs> on Doug's recommendation, <laughs> was, was really great. I yeah. had no idea. Um, and uh, the amazing Morris, a Terry Pratchett fan, loved it. Watch it if you're a Terry Pratchett fan, or even if you just like films about cats. Nice. Dante Speak, a rewatch. It was my last, uh, well, no, the second to last movie of the first part of Bee Fest. Holds up really fucking well. Because I've never seen it. Practical effects it? beat the shit out of bad 90s uh, CGI because it came out the same time as Volcano. Volcano. Volcano is full of CGI. Looks like garbage now. And also, is Volcano the one where they're co- they're, all the black and white people are covered with ash? And yeah, it's like, oh, they, they look the, the same. same. Yeah, and yeah, you, okay. you want to throw the entire theater out the window. Yeah, okay. Uh, Dante's Peak is still pretty dumb at times. Really dumb. You can't drive on lava. I should point that out, movie makers. They, <laughs> but they also have a volcano which has the three major types of volcanic eruption that all happen on the same day, which any volcanologist is going to go, bullshit! Right. Um, but... Obviously, if for a movie you you go big and you or you go home and they went fucking big and I think it holds up really well. So Dante Speak and Twister in the same month. Okay. I've got my fill of some nineties um, disaster for a while, well for another week or so. Uh, Satan's Children was absolutely nothing like what it looks like on the movie mm-hmm. box. I will say nothing Too more, bad. but don't watch it with your parents or anyone that you might want to look in the eye later on. And uh, the one that I finally got to seeing after probably. 12 years between putting it on the first time, discovering it was a movie you needed to watch in Pitch Blackness and finally watching again Pandorum uh, oh, from yeah. 2008 2009 really fucking enjoyed it I, when I first watched it I thought okay it's an alien rip off but it was, I watched it put on the side of like in the middle of the afternoon and went I can't see a damn thing Yeah. and I turned it off and I played the same rip from the my father-in-law's rip stash only about what two two three weeks ago uh probably should have got a new copy because um the pixelation on there was a little bit embarrassing on one of my films that i was showing a bunch of friends but really fucking good for a an aliens derived deep space horror and once again contamination uh (laughs) yeah probably (laughs) i mean it's i I enjoyed that and uh, the only thing i can not recommend this month was a movie called Arabella Black Angel, which was on uh, Shudder, along with a bunch of GLs. I just put it on because of the poster. And uh, it basically it kind of has a plot, but um, it it kind of cuts it into like billions of little pieces and then just puts gratuitous nudity in between, which wouldn't be a problem, but the plot makes no fucking sense and it got really, really irritating. So Arabella Black Angel can go fuck itself. Uh, that's my personal opinion on that one. One that shouldn't go fuck itself. <laughs> <laughs> and I really I apologise because this is one I should have devoted a lot more time no, to the quick fire but I won't <laughs> Robin Redbreast from the Shutter from uh, the set uh, right? from the set from all the Haunts Bears all the Haunts oh, Bears nice. the Severin set is absolutely phenomenal and what's the 
even the most phenomenal thing about it is that the main character is a a woman in her mid thirties who knows her own mind, talks frankly about sex. It's very adult, but she's just she's not a sort of kick-ass chick or that type of you know woman power and that type of thing. She's just someone who is a real woman dealing with things that are a little bit outside of what she should have to deal with. Kind of like Hollywood. <laughs> no. Okay, sorry. No, because, well, I'm sorry, but I'm uh, talking seriously about this because I think it's it's a sort of film that any everyone should see because the it's it's kind of sad how how rare that kind of character is. I'm not even going to talk about the horror situation she's in. She's just fascinating to watch, and because she's she's powerful but without being the modern version of you know if if you're going to be a powerful woman that means you need to be able to kick three guys in the face mm. and um and not break a sweat when you do or glow glow i believe is the right <laughs> word in that respect but um yeah see robin redbreast nice. maybe i'll talk about it again more one day when everyone else has Nice. Cool. Um, Tar, if you need a strong female character. And on that note, uh, we will see you in a couple of weeks talking about the literary adaptations of Martin Scorsese from A to B. Until then, enjoy. <laughs>